just had some motherfucking fun. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Welcome back to the tomb, everyone. This is the Pharaoh, aka Ali. And this is the final episode of season one. And it's called A Black Tree Reunion. And I have some very important people here with me, and I'll have them go ahead and introduce themselves. Hello, everyone. I'm Oladipo. Good friends with Ali and the rest of the gang here. I met them after I pledged Phi Sig my sophomore year, and Ali became my big. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, this is Kevin. Uh, like Depot said, we uh, all met through Phi Sig. Uh, so I joined my junior year, and Ali was my big. So that's how I know him personally. And then everyone else I met again through the frat, and we've been friends since then. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, Mifosa. Uh, also met Ali through the uh, Fifig. He's uh, actually my grand little, and I'm um, looking forward to this podcast. Hell yeah, we're about to have some fun. So let's start off with just saying congratulations to some people. First, Afosa, congratulations. You graduated. You made it. Yes, sir. Got his doctorate uh, thank you. in pharmacy. Thank you. Right? Doctor in pharmacy? Doctor of pharmacy, yeah. Sure, yeah, sure. right. About to start. So it's Dr. Isaacor to, to you people now. <laughs> about to start slanging drugs. Hooking <laughs> up, up with the crockpot. <laughs> <laughs> and then another congratulations to Kevin. Our boy just got engaged. Yes, yep, I did. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So how so run us through how, how'd you come up with the idea of what you wanted to do for your engagement? Uh for the helicopter thing? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the whole thing. So I, was, I wasn't there, nigga. I don't know. Well, you mean when I, the yacht? No. Um, I don't. I was just like trying to come up with some ideas and like think of like what to do. Uh, I uh, like told my brother I was gonna do it, and we were just kind of ran through some ideas. Uh, so he helped me brainstorm a little bit. Because when I saw it, I was did just you fly? Like, no, I didn't fly it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would have crashed that. <laughs> no, but I guess another uh, ceremony, a different ceremony. <laughs> yeah, it's just a website that does like tours of Boston. Uh, so it's like a 30 minute tour. They just fly up and go around Boston and uh, bring you back. That's beautiful. Because uh-huh. I saw it, I was just like, did this nigga just watch Fifty Shades of Grey? I was like, ah, it's like, hell. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what happens in Fifty Shades of Grey? I've never yeah, seen it. I don't understand that reference. <laughs> so, so are we the only ones that have seen it? Oh, no, I haven't seen it. That's what oh, I'm shit. I'm the only one that's seen it. <laughs> wow. Christian Grey out here. <laughs> no, I was, okay, okay. I was forced to watch it, and it was, it was trash. It was absolutely trash. But in one of the scenes, like, when he's trying to, like, when he starts dating her, he, like, takes her on a helicopter ride, and they have this whole musical thing. So, okay, well, good to know you didn't jack it from Fifty Shades of Grey. Thank God. Wait, so you guys have never seen it? Nope. Hey, man, the, the book is better than the movie. <laughs> no, I've never read the books. <laughs> I mean... From people that have that have watched it, it's like, um, 
they do say like the books are better, um, but I don't, I don't know. But so I kind of wanted to, you know, just chop it up with you guys, get into, get into some stuff. Um, kind of, like I said before, just wanted to chop it up with you guys and uh, kind of just like, you know, just talk about shit that I've just been looking at and just been talking to other people about, get your, get your um, perspective on things. So uh, I think I asked you guys this earlier before we started, but like, so have you, some of you guys listened to like Kevin Samuels and things like that? Yep, I've heard, heard of the man. Same. No, Fosa, no. No, we can't see you shake your head at Fosa. Yeah, they're not going to be able to see you. This is all audio. <laughs> so for some of the, for, uh, I guess, Depot and Kevin that have listened to this, like kind of what are your thoughts about it? Uh, like on the stuff that he says, I know that you said it's kind of like limited what you listen to. Uh, he seems like an interesting guy. Uh, definitely a provocateur. Uh, I guess we should talk about what he talks about, right? Yeah. So he talks about relationships and, you know, what he perceives as the uh, theme of relationships currently. Um, women targeting high value men. But then he asked the question of, well, if this is a high value man, are you even in his radar? Mm -hmm. And like, what are you bringing to the table to like exactly. attract him? Which, it's like, I feel like it's kind of a, I feel like it is a legitimate question to ask because if, if, if there are women that are saying that I want a guy that makes six figures and more and all this stuff and a lot of it is based off of like finances, it's like, okay it's like besides let's be honest besides the thing between your legs like what are you bringing to the table i think one thing that i really do and from like the clips i've seen one thing that i really enjoy is when he brings up like certain statistics you know i don't know how true some of his statistics are but like certain statistics like the you know the proportion of men who who are at six figures and above and how unrealistic of an ideal it is if all these, if all women are chasing, you know, the 10% of people who are making six figures and above in the United States, then like, where do you think you're gonna end up if, you know, the 10% of women who are targeted by high value men end up getting them and then you're just kind of chasing a guy who doesn't really see you as like his partner or maybe even doesn't even value as like a human being and just kind of like a like a side piece it's like yeah and like that's kind of the thing that he's like talked about and i've i've listened to a decent amount of his uh, videos and one of the things that he says that women kind of get up in arms about is that it's like okay you got yourself a high value man are you ready like are you prepared to share them and because I think, well, it's because we live in a Western civilization uh, is that uh, monogamy is seen as like the default thing. Yeah. But I mean, what's wrong with like being in a polyamorous relationship? 
honestly. I think there's nothing wrong with it as long as both parties agree. You know, that's the one that's the one part of where his argument kind of gets funky because like are these high value men, quote unquote high value men, like talking to the partner and saying, like, all right, you're not gonna be the only one, or are they just kind of vibing and then because they know that they're high value, they're just going, well, I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. <laughs> you are they going to be here when I come back or not? So. Mm-hmm. so I guess because I know some of you, well, Debo, you have a girlfriend, Kevin, you have a fiance. So can we just step into a world where that's not a thing? Hypothetical. <laughs> Hypothetical. Hmm? They don't, they've never existed landscape. Yeah, yeah. Just control, delete, wipe the wipe the memory for a second. Um, <laughs> would you would you guys ever try to be in a, like a polyamorous? And Afosa, you too. Like, would you guys ever try to be in like a polyamorous like relationship? And my granddad was polyamorous, um, and I remember um, as a kid in Nigeria, like in a playful manner, I was like always fantasizing about how many wives I'm going to get and how many children we're going to have, that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, currently, I mean, I want to say that um, polyamorous kind of like relationship, it's the only time, the only way I can see it feasible is if I have the, like the commodity to, basically the financial access to like have it like that kind of stuff but for now um i'll just deal with monogamy (laughs) (laughs) that's all i can say about that the way my bank account is set up i ain't got got the financial school (laughs) yeah i mean for me i guess it's not something i've ever really like thought about I don't know if that's just like, you know, growing up in a world where it has been, you know, one man, one woman, uh, just seeing like that relationship, especially with like my parents uh, still being together after like more than 20 years. That's sort of how I view it, but it's not something that like, I feel like I've explored a ton mm-hmm. or even like thought about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like a photo, my my grandfather, he had three or four wives. I don't know. I can't remember if there was a fourth or not, but I believe um, there was four. So I've thought about it um, for sure. I've got you know other family members who who have multiple partners, multiple wives, in that manner. Um, so similar to a photo, like I, I've kind of thought about it to a certain extent, but. Like, first of all, finances, right? You, you got to be in, if you're going to do it, you got to be in a position where you can support, you know, two plus women <laughs> for mm-hmm. all the things that they need. And then two, you have to be, you more than likely have to be prepared to be like emotionally ready for two plus women because, you know, they're, now, for one, it's just not, at least in America, right? So if you're going to try that in America, it's just not as common. And there would have to be a lot of like culture breaking to start off with, with one one partner, 
let alone with two. So I don't know. I I would I wouldn't be opposed to pursuing a polyamorous relationship, but I think that comes with like a lot of conversations and a lot of like trust building before you can even hop into it, especially in this day and age. Now, when you say trust building, like, like, what do you mean? Like trusting that you're just not gonna leave your current girlfriend for the other woman or something like that? Like, what do you mean when you say like, where does trust have to uh, come into that? I think like to a certain point that, but I think more of like, is this person, is this is my partner? going to just be like like digging down everyone everyone he sees or everyone she sees or you know are they going to be safe you know you don't want somebody who's just like going around going crazy and then comes back to you and brings you know all the things that they've picked up along the way that's not that's not going to be healthy you know and when you talk about like polyamory there's so many things that go on into that there's you know like open relationships where it's like you and your partner are cool and then you you can you and both you both can go on dates with other people or there's like polyamorous relationships where it's like you have multiple girlfriends and like they all know each other and they're all cool or if someone's got multiple boyfriends and they all know each other and they're all cool or a mix of both um so i think you have to establish what polyamory means to you in that moment it's, it can't just be like oh, well, we're open and I'll see you later. Because that, at that point, you're just single with, you know, someone you come home, come back home to, which yeah. can be fine. It, well, I'm saying like the most drastic version yeah. of that, not like, not like a version where like you can come to your partner uh, comfortably and like talk to them and they, oh yeah, I'm going on a date with this girl I met, da da da, or I'm going on a date with this guy I met, da da da, we're, we're planning on going here, 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 and I'll be back uh like you know 12 or you know whatever whatever you know well at that point i think it's more so of you just you're just having an open relationship if it's like two people are together and the other people are just doing whatever the fuck they want versus like the two people are going on a date with the third person and it's just like all right we have this set up are you gonna come in join yeah, yeah come in because there, there is that as well where you where you have you already have a relationship and then other people join in on like the full relationship yeah because i think honestly i think like that might be the best way to do it because mm-hmm. if if you do it the other way where it's just like oh i went out with this with this girl i like her and then she comes into it and then my first girlfriend absolutely hates her and now I'm just like, now I just made a bigger headache for myself. Yeah. But I think that would be part of like the dating process. You know what I mean? If if someone were to go that route, as opposed to like the, we're going on a date together to pick up a partner or like potentially pick up a partner and see how things go. And it's interesting because both you and Afosa said that your uh, grandfather had multiple wives. So... Uh, did you well for well I'll just ask and then your answer is gonna did you see like any difference on how he treated his 
like multiple wives, like I like she's top one. And then there's layers to it. Um, my grandfather passed away before I was born. Uh-huh. So I didn't pers- I didn't like see like how he was operating, but at least from like the sibling part, I like all of my dad's siblings, like none of them look at each other as half siblings. They all look at each other as like, like I, like uh, my uncle, I would call him my uncle. I don't call him like my half uncle or anything like that. And his kids are my cousins and same thing. Like my dad views him. That is my brother. It's not my half brother. It's not my half sister. It's that's, that's my family. So at least from that point, I could say um, it was fun. Uh, but I, I can only, I, there has to be some sort of like hierarchy, right? To a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, for my um, grandparents, I think for my dad's side, my grandmom was somewhere in the middle. And I know that the first wife, I forget the term they use, I think first lady or first woman, I forget the term they use for the first wife, but um, the wives that come after that are like, have to like give respect to her. And, and she kind of like has some kind of say in um, like some decisions, that kind of stuff. And from my mom's side, I think my grandma was um, the last, I think. Uh, I could, uh, I remember cause there were some shady things going on back then, but yeah. There, there is hierarchy when it comes to like um, a man with like uh, uh, one than one wives and uh, what else? Oh yeah, and also um, for polygamy, in, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's the same for the rest of uh, Nigeria, but for me, it was um, for my grandparents, it was the man having more than one wife and not the wife having more than one man. So the wife can marry more, can like have another man in the house, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I think the only place I've seen, I, I at least have seen where like the wife has more than one male partner is like in America. But I obviously haven't done a lot of research into that. Yeah. Um, and I know particularly in like my grandparents part part of the reason you know definitely not the only reason my grandfather had multiple wives but part of the reason was that my father's mom wasn't she was like she wasn't able to like bear children for some time and so you know in in developing nations like that you know the goal is to have you know children you know it's big family so all the kids can partially work <laughs> one and then two like take care of you when you get old <laughs> exactly so he uh so at first my grandmother wasn't able to have children for like huge spread of time so he had a second wife uh who had his first and then he was able to my grandmother was eventually able to have uh other children as well including my father obviously mm. And that was the thing that I kind of want to uh, touch on. I'm glad that you brought it up, Afosa, is that it's like, normally when we talk about polyamory, it's like, oh, it's a guy having multiple girlfriends. It's like, so I guess what are you, your guys' thoughts on like a woman having multiple boyfriends? It's like, do you think that that can actually work? And the men still feel like respected in the relationship? 
feel like it depends on the type of like guy that's in that relationship right mm-hmm. like if if you're if a woman's dating a guy who has like a high competitive drive like he's always going to see that other guy as like competition so from that point of view like i don't know if it would eventually work out there'd be maybe a lot of jealousy uh, a lot of like one up friendship uh, in terms of like trying to get the better of the other dude Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's like kind of in our nature to just be like like men's nature to be inherently competitive with one another. Yeah, definitely. To a certain point, but there's always levels, right? So likely the person the type of person, type of woman who wants more than one partner or one more than one male partner, she probably doesn't want a lot of men competing against competing against one another unless she's like like a master puppeteer <laughs> like, <laughs> it just sounds like a toxic relationship you don't want to be psychotic in. it's just like exactly. yeah but also to like this is assuming that this is a woman who is strictly heterosexual like there could be a woman who wants more than one partner and them being she like Maybe she wants a male partner for certain reasons and a female partner for certain other reasons, right? Or for certain other compatibilities, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I can definitely see that because. Um, what was it? I was I was actually listening to uh, Patrice O'Neill. He's a. I don't know if you guys know him, but he's a comedian. But he also had. Um, a show called The Black Phillips Show, which everyone should go, all, well, I think all men should go and listen to. And then he was also on another show called The Opie and Anthony Show. And he was talking about like uh, a polyamorous like relationship with his girlfriend. And he brought up the point, it's just like with a, with a woman having multiple guys, it's like in that situation, she's the leader of the relationship. And at that point, her being in that leadership role, she's going to start losing respect for the men that um, that she has because it's like, yes, some women want to be in like leadership roles and everything like that in terms of like business and things like that. But when, when we talk about relationships, it's like, that's not necessarily like the case. So I guess I'll, I'll use that as a segue is like to talk about like the structure of relationships. It's like, so do you guys believe that a relationship is 50-50? Well, in that relationship, it definitely, it can never be 50-50. Because <laughs> there's too many parties involved, right? Yeah, it's good. No, it's I'm crowded. sorry. I'm in, a, in a monogamous relationship, do you think like a uh, relationship is 50-50? I think it could be. I don't think they all, always are always need to be yeah i feel like if you sort of talk about what your needs are and what the other person's needs are then it can definitely be split different ways mm-hmm. it doesn't always have to be 50 50 but like if you're the one who wants to say like as a man provide for your family and you know you want to be the breadwinner and be like okay like yeah my wife can stay home like take care of the kids and do all that then it's not going to be i mean technically she's doing work that's unpaid so it's not like it's like a hundred percent zero percent you know there's always going to be that level of 
two couples doing something towards one relationship. So in order to build that hundred percent, I don't think it's ever, you know, a hundred zero, there's always going to be someone bringing something to the table. At least you would hope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you would hope at least, or if, if, even if you don't hope, like you, you wouldn't want to be in that relationship anymore if the other person isn't bringing anything. Yeah, at that point, why are you in the relationship? Yeah, at that point, you have to ask yourself, like, oh, what, you know, what's yeah. going on? I'll, I'll tell you why some people sex. That's why some people stay in a relationship. Because even there's, there's some that's, that's true, but even sorry to talk over you. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was going to say there's some relationships where there's not, which I think, like, there's some relationships where someone's just in it because they're afraid to be alone, I would say, more than sex. Yeah, that or they're afraid to, like, go out there and then all of a sudden they find that whatever they had before was was good. And then mm-hmm. what they're finding now is, you know, not, not the same or not on the same level. It's, it's trash you're finding trash people out there <laughs> yeah but you did say something that was interesting because you said that it's like different like it's not necessarily 50 50 but different and that's the thing that i think a lot of people need to kind of understand is that within a relationship there are certain within a relationship and then if you get married in, in, a, in a marriage there are certain roles that do need to be filled and if you have two competing for the same role then like the other responsibilities of that uh, that different role is going to start falling by the wayside because I know that like growing up it's like so my dad worked and my mom stayed at home and nowadays people will probably look at it, it's like oh like your father told her to stay in the it's like no they sat down and had a conversation and my dad was making more money than my mom at the time. And for a little bit of their marriage, she did work. But then once they started having kids, they understood uh, They understood together that it's like, okay, you're like, I'm making more money. So I'm going to be the one going out and bringing the money back. However, it's like the role that my mom played is that she managed all the money. Like if I went and asked my, my dad for money, like, unless he had it on him, he'd be like, I, like, go talk to, go talk to my accountant. <laughs> so it's, it's like different, different roles, but it's that play into each other. It's like one hand washes the other. Yeah. Um, but there's always a balance in that, right? Like my parents both work. My parents are like typical Nigerian parents where they, triple overtimes like they just they're workaholics um no one works harder than nigerian pretty much so i think i think there's you know well obviously just different levels of that Mm. and i think to kind of contextualize it though also is that like with your parents your parents um immigrated to the united states correct yeah so I think that's another lens that like also needs to be like looked at because um, I'm not assuming anything, but I'm I'm saying it's like maybe when they immigrated here, it's like the type of money that they were making both needed to work. Yeah, but at this point, 
they, they, they don't need to work. <laughs> they, or they don't need to work as hard as they do work, mm. I would say. Mm. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of things that go into that. It may be just a, like a habit of like culture, I would say more than anything, but um, definitely both workaholics for sure. <laughs> like my dad is on vacation this week and he typically works nights. So in order to work during vacation, he's working uh, days, doubles <laughs> during his vacation. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> it kind of defeats the purpose of a vacation. Yeah, that's what I said. And, uh, but he, he also works for the state. So he gets like a, his time off. If he doesn't take it, he loses it. So mm. he's kind of like, well, might as well work during this week because he already took uh, I think he already took two vacations this year I don't know how he finessed it but he already took two vacations uh, one vacation that we talked about previously where he went to Nigeria and then um, the other vacation this week obviously <laughs> where he's working overtime and also getting PTO which is lit <laughs> in my opinion but yeah that's yeah that's pretty good <laughs> okay also in terms of like needing to work, it's not like they needed visas because my parents have been citizens since at least like mid 2000s, mid, like between 2006-ish probably that area range. My mom was later than my dad. He had citizenship first, but around that time, so. Okay, so um, I guess I'll ask the question is that within your parents like marriage is like would you could you say that there's a quote-unquote like leader in the relationship my dad's definitely the leader for in terms of like financial decisions and like you know head of household kind of things mm -hmm. but if we look at like if we were talking about like financially my mom makes more than my dad she's a She's a registered nurse and she's been a registered nurse for a long time uh, at the same place for a long time. So that's where, that's kind of where I look at it. Like, like there is a, there, of course there are like financial reasons where you would want like, Oh, my partner to, to stay home. But there's also like, there's, there's just a different balance, right? Everyone's just going to perceive things differently, you know, in terms of how they want to operate their lives. So, gotcha. Uh, Fosa, Kevin. Um, for my parents, my dad is the head of the household. Um, uh, my mom, uh, currently she works and still makes a. Uh, she makes more money than my dad, like people said, um, for his too. Um, and um, my dad is retired. So basically just managing um, the businesses he has in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. But still, um, even though my mom makes more than my dad, my dad still um, remains the, uh, I guess, the leader of the household. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So 
for me, um, I guess when I was younger, my parents were both in Guatemala. Um, and then my dad actually came over to the United States first. He had an opportunity through his like restaurant group to come to the U.S. and work for a restaurant here. And so that's sort of where a split happened where I didn't see him. I mean, I was super young, so I was like maybe like a year old at that point. And he came here, worked for like two years and then was able to, to you know, send money back and then eventually uh, bring us up to the U.S., which was, you know, kind of like the dream goal of, like everyone has growing up like, oh, the U.S., you know, a country of freedom, all that stuff where you can like make a better opportunity for yourself. Um, so then when we both, when everyone was up here, we definitely relied on like a lot of family and that's mm-hmm. kind of like why family is like super important to me is because, you know, my family, they all help each other out, like no matter what. Um, so I guess my dad would technically be head of the household. You know, he's like working the most, working overtime whenever he can. He has that like work mentality where like, oh, like you can't stop. You know, you got to like keep working. And if you're not working, you got to do something else. You got to find a side hustle. You got to, you know, bring at like more to the table, like as much as you can. And then in the beginning, my mom was at home, you know, taking care of me and my brother. Uh, And then I guess that dynamic sort of changed a little bit where, you know, I got old enough and then my parents had uh, two more kids, so my younger brother and sister, and then they saw like the need to, you know, in order to be able to provide for all four of us, my mom had to get a job. Um, and then that's where growing up, I sort of, me and my older brother became kind of like caretakers for my younger siblings, which I guess when, when that happens, you kind of, you take on more responsibility at a younger age and, you know, that's something that definitely helped me like grow up, you know, basically taking care of this like two and one year old while my parents are both working and just seeing the way that they were able to like manage bringing like, I guess, you know, money and like care for the family home was kind of, uh, like a learning experience, definitely. Uh, there were times when, you know, you're growing up, you're taking care of your siblings and you're like, why am I doing this? You know, like, this isn't really my job. Yeah. But then like at the same time, it's like, you know, you're a unit, like you're a family, like you have to support each other. And if you're not supporting each other, then why even like be grown up in this family in the first place? And I know that why they did that was to, you know, give us all a better opportunity to kind of like progress and grow. And like learn as individuals. Damn, real message. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, question: How how old were you when you started like kind of take uh, when you and your older brother started uh, taking care of your younger siblings? Uh, I guess I was like maybe like eight years old. Damn. So Wait. so I was eight. My brother was nine. Uh, you know, we'd, we'd like go to school, come back. And then my mom would be working night shifts. So like we'd kind of just take care of everything at home. And then my dad would be working pretty much day and night. Like there was times when we like wouldn't even see him because he had two jobs. Mm. And um, 
like you said, uh, well, what you said earlier is that your dad came here first. Um, so I guess I'll ask you and Aphosis, like kind of what was your experience going through like the US like immigration like system? Because if you listen to a lot of these Republicans and right wing Fox News people, it's like they'll say that it's that, oh, our immigration system is broken. But it's like, what was your experience like going through it? Real quick before they start, I will say from my perspective, the immigration system is broken, but for different reasons than why your typical like Fox News correspondent will say so, in my opinion. So uh, uh, Depot, could you kind of expand upon what you said about how what Fox News says like is not actually what's wrong with the um, uh, immigration system? Well, one, they're looking at immigration through like just like a, like a singular dimension, strictly to for their talking points because they want to, you know, focus on people from the South and people from the South, their issue with immigration is that they're, you know, losing jobs, which is a whole another argument on itself. But um, I think one thing that they miss is one, the people who, who are, you know, illegally immigrating to this country, like, it's not because they they want to be criminals or anything it's like it's your last option and a lot of it is due to political instability that was caused by the u.s in the first place like we went <laughs> we, we went and made drugs illegal here and then we went to other countries and said he'll produce them for us and uh we'll also you know put a put a politician in power and then we'll fund you guys but we can only fund you so much. So then we'll leave. And once we leave, the people that we put in power are just gonna get a coup happen upon, upon them and they're gonna get murdered. And then we've started a cycle of violence and we'll just look at you from afar and just be like, oh, well, shouldn't be coming to us. <laughs> the land of the free and the home of the brave doesn't want you. That was probably the best synopsis of the U.S. geopolitical like, in, like interference. That's pretty much what it is. And if you if you look at it through a singular dimension of like, oh, this is the problem and we got to stop it. It's like, well, what's one, what started this quote unquote problem? And two, these are human beings at the end of the day. And if we live in this country that's the American dream and the land of the free and the home of the brave, that's based, that's built up by immigrants, you know, whether or not they wanted to be here or, well, or not. Well, immigrants, we're, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna use yeah. Immigrants yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. For enslaved people. Immigrants and then Non-voluntary immigrants. <laughs> immigrants and people who are stolen from their country, you know, and you're just gonna make this country based upon that and then just pretend that, you know, when people come here, it's, it's like, like they have a better place to go. Like, let's be real. If there's some instability going on in your country, like wars or drugs or gangs and like literal violence, like you're gonna go, <laughs> you're not gonna stay. You're gonna go to the place that's been advertised across the entire globe as this is the beautiful place. And the same thing's happening with Europe too. Can I say one thing is that it's, it's very important. interesting that because these, and we'll, call it what it is, these white people that will not look at um, people coming here from 
countries that have been destabilized by the United States are the same people that either the same people or the children of people who did the white flight to the suburbs as soon as you had one black neighbor. And it's just like, so it's like you're, it's okay when you flee where, where you live because of some pseudo shit that you thought was going on. But when people have legitimate reasons to leave where their entire family was, now it's, you wanna take the moral high ground. Facts. And just, then on top of that, like you, so one, you got like white flight, people leaving their neighborhoods because black people move in, right? And then two, you've got like, the so people, the original, you know, immigrants to the US, they left because of like, religious persecution like they, <laughs> they some left, of them yeah, quote unquote, well yeah some of them left because of religious persecution and then other ones left. they use the colonies basically the like some of them left for religious reasons and then the other ones is that the colonies were essentially supposed to be another australia where yeah. the uh uk the britain empire like were sending all their criminals so the forefathers and shit like that and it's like the niggas were criminals or, yeah. or descendants of criminals. Exactly. And it's like, those are, those are the people you, you trust, but then the people who are leaving actual violence and persecute and like legitimate, like just, just unwarranted and immoral like persecution. Like you look at them and you're like, oh, they're at the wall. We, we got to finish this wall and, and close them off. It's like, like expand your mind just a little bit yeah i feel like people need to sort of see past the fox news talking points too yeah because you know a lot of the instability in south and latin america has been caused by the u.s uh especially with like the drug war or even just other things like me i'm from guatemala before they were about to like create like sort of like a communist society where, where they were going to take the land back from the banana producers who essentially owned a bunch of the land. And then the government was like, hey, you guys own kind of way too much. We're going to take some of your land, repossess it, and give it to the poor people so they can farm and make food for themselves. And then those same huge banana conglomerates went to the U.S. and were like, hey, something's going on here. We don't, we're going to lose a lot of land. You're going to lose a lot of business. And then the U.S. was like, ah, we're going to fund this rebel group that's in your country and they're going to stop this uh, communism from taking root and taking hold of your country. And we're going to have a coup against the government. So from there, all of a sudden these banana kit like conglomerates or they keep their land, new government gets installed. And then there's all this violence that comes from that. And then it's just years and years of civil war that comes from it. So they're causing the civil war and then they're like, oh, we didn't do that. But it's like, you look back at history and you look back at these unclassified files that are all of a sudden like being exposed, you know, tens and tens of years later. And you're like, hey, the CIA was here. They were doing something. They were funding guerrilla militants. Yeah. And now there's violence everywhere. There's all these gangs. There's like Same. literally no choice but for people to immigrate or try to immigrate to the U.S. where they can, you know, maybe hope for a better life. And it's, it's interesting, well, it's not interesting, but it's essentially what the United States does is that it, like, 
it breaks someone it, it breaks someone's leg and accuses them of not being able to run it inserts themselves in like these international situations where it's like even w- with what was going on in like afghanistan right now like i don't know if we want to get into it but it's like oh we can get into we it were there, we were there for like like what 20 years like the u.s was there the whole reason was to eradicate al-qaeda who was kind of partnered with the taliban mm-hmm. and now who's taking control of the country again the taliban who did the u.s negotiate with the taliban and it's very interesting because i was listening to um, to some people uh talk about like uh kind of progressive people but it was they were talking about how where because of the recent bombings is that people are instantly saying like, it's the Taliban. But what people need to understand is like, I think they're called ISIS-K, which is the ISIS faction that's in Afghanistan. And it's like, they're the ones that actually carried out these bombings. But if you look at news outlets, it's like, they'll, they'll say that, oh, it was the Taliban. It's like, but that doesn't make sense because essentially Joe Biden, what he did is that he said to the Taliban, it's like, we're going to leave and here's a country. Why then would they go ahead and start bombing American soldiers, which would instantly just reescalate the situation to bring them back in and continue it for who, who knows how long. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I've heard, U.S. media say it was the Taliban that did those bombings. I think all or all I've heard was that it was like ISIS K, which is like a subset of ISIS, which is technically. Well, I also listen I, to right wing news, so I listen to both wings. Just got it. So, so I'm not listening to that. So yeah, I guess it's like a different message that's being spread throughout the different news outlets. But ISIS K is technically sworn enemy of the Taliban, like the Islamic State does not believe in the same stuff that uh, the Taliban does. Yes. But you do at the same time hear facts as like, oh, they got through a Taliban checkpoint where the Taliban are part of this bombing. So I guess I have heard that. One thing I I just want to add real quick, just to go kind of piggyback on what you said previously about the the coup in, in Guatemala kind of connected to, you know, the situation in the Middle East is like, one, it wasn't just like any banana conglomerate. It was Chiquita bananas. Like, yeah, yeah, the bananas <laughs> like, that you eat every day. The bananas we eat like <laughs> all the time, every day. We they've branded across the country. We see them all the time. Oh, I didn't know that. That was the company that inserted itself into geopolitics and inserted themselves in the Guatemalan government with the help of the CIA to do these things. And this is all public record. Yeah, and and it's out. And like in a similar faction, like the U.S. has gone over into Afghanistan and certain Middle Eastern countries to, you know, quote unquote, protect poppy field seeds, which, you know, is the ingredients for heroin and all of the opiate based. Exactly. All the pharmaceutical drugs that, you know, kids in kids in Massachusetts are now dying from because of the opioid epidemic. well, let's question conspiracy theory primarily white kids and real quick before your conspiracy theory okay the, the, the only <laughs> ironically racism is the greatest part <laughs> of the uh the opioid epidemic because doctors didn't 
prescribe opioids to black people because they thought we would abuse them and then they prescribed them to white people and they abused them <laughs> and now there's no little billy's out there reading his mom's prescription cabinet but nope. uh, conspiracy theory just hear me hypothetical out. <laughs> hear me out do yep. you think part of the reason why they are pulling out is because there really isn't a need for opioids anymore because of how hard they're trying to fight the opioid uh, uh, epidemic? Um, that's debatable. Uh, I don't know what the I don't know what the like. Well, I guess. Um, I mean, public sentiment has been that like, oh, we need to get out of there for some time now. Yeah, like I feel like both Democrats and Republicans agree on that. And the wild thing is, is that the the plan that Biden is following that was set up by Trump. So if he won a second term, this same shit would have happened. Exactly. Yeah. Same shit. yeah. Definitely. But it's I find it. Uh, so it's interesting that, so we did talk about like South and Central America and the other thing that I kind of wanted to touch upon as well is just like almost across the world, the United States had destabilized, well, not just the United States, but just uh, Western civilization. Yes. I got, I got one thing to add to <laughs> uh, in a similar situation to the Chiquita Bananas. Um, I believe it was the Dole Pineapple Company that did the same thing with Hawaii, and that's why Hawaii is a state. Yep. So just to just to remind you know the U.S. of like they, they stole a, a lot of fruits, they stole that that. baggage. <laughs> fruits got the money. The next thing you know is gonna be like, oh, avocados from Mexico. Avocado gang. <laughs> Except that's actually a thing now. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, yeah the cartels are now in the avocado business. Yeah. Because it, I mean, it makes money. So all those people out there eating your avocado toast, you might as well just do cocaine because they're coming from the same person. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't support cocaine. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> are we going to cut all this laughter out? <laughs> this is a public service announcement. It's staying in. What's the timestamp? <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, it's staying in, it's staying in. But uh, yeah, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you guys was, well, I said it to you guys earlier, like the scale. Uh, we're going back to, so people know we're going back to dating and relationships and things like that, men and women interactions, whatever. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was like the scale that I use. So the scale that I use is a zero through 30 scale because most, most guys or even some women, like they use a zero through 10. And the thing is, is that, yeah, like it's kind of good. But when you really think about it is that if you're trying to say someone's average, like, oh, they're like a five or a six, but a six, it's still way too close to a 10. Because there's things that separate a six from a 10. <laughs> is it though? It's six, is, I mean, if, say if you're rounded, you round up to like, like. I mean, if you're rounded to the 10th digit, I guess. 
but a six. I don't know. I'm thinking it. I'm thinking of it in terms of like video game scale. Like video games, you get a six out of ten. I'm not playing that shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's trash. But think about it. If you but so like a person, you know, same scale as a woman, six out of ten. I'm fucking with that. I. I don't know. Oh, now it, it's hard. It's hard to apply to a person, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to apply to someone's looks. It's we're not talking about the yeah. whole entirety of the person. We're talking about just looks. So people can listening to this was like, oh, I'm a good person. You probably are. Great. Still a six. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, there'd be a uh, 18 out of 30. No, because here, here's the beauty of the scale. So. Uh, the beauty of the scale. Zero to ten. Those are just ugly women. Eleven to twenty, those are fine. Uh, yeah, those are fine, cute, fine slash cute women. Twenty-one to thirty, those are beautiful women. So oh, Ward, gorgeous, gorgeous, whatever, whatever. You just top tier. You know what I mean. So, so wait, wait, before you continue, who's a 30? <laughs> who, who in the world is a 30? Who's a 30? See, they're like, I, I'd say they're, like they're like chupacabras. You like very few people have seen them, <laughs> but I believe that they're real. <laughs> and then, so Kevin just said that Rihanna, he thinks Rihanna's a 30. I too agree. I think Rihanna would be a 30. She's a 29. Rihanna's not just a, what? I say she's 29. 29. All right, that's your that's your scale, anyways. So, but just because of the forehead, she has a big ass. Nah, nah, nah. We love a pretty girl with a big forehead. Stop that! Stop that! Stop that! And then second, second, she's not just a thirty. She's like an international thirty, because she's got she's literally like a piece of every continent. In the least like fetishy way possible, she's like she like uh, what's uh, what's the word like phenotypically she has features from literally every continent because genetically she's from basically every co- continent. Okay, but do you see how we're arguing over one point, but we still understand that she's gorgeous. Yeah. Now, yeah. now on the ten point scale, you might argue over one point from. <laughs> You mm. from your boys say she's average from she's above average. I see what you're saying. So you'd be like, ah, nah, she's a nine, and, and someone's like, ah, bro, she's definitely an eight or forehead. <laughs> yeah, see, you see the beauty of the scale, but also the intrinsic beauty of the scale is this: is that it as as dudes is that we will come correct to a woman if we have a like a larger scale so that we can be like, all right, it's like, if you view yourself as a six and you're approaching an eight, you're gonna say some really self-sabotaging shit just because you think that she's out of your league. With the scale, you could be like, you know what? It's like, honestly, she might be a 17 or 18. So she is a very pretty, cute girl. So you're gonna come with the right type of confidence. So it's for us, but it's also for it's also for women because I can just from talking to different women is that like the type of shit guys say where it's like you know that wasn't going to work, 
but because of the fact that they've just like pretty much decided they're going to self-sabotage themselves it's like it's dumb <laughs> that's that's why i have that scale i definitely like the scale now that you've described it yeah i feel like it's it's in intricacies or are better than a zero to 10 where you're rating them just based on a single digit. Because you know, like, unless someone has like some really just unattractive features, you're never going to really give someone like a two or a three. That's true. It's like, because at some, <laughs> at some, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> So it gives you a little bit more leeway to be like, ah, it's like she's cute for an ugly girl. Yeah, she's a she's a six, and then a six is you know, I'll do. Uh, I guess you know, you call her, you 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 say, oh, this is a nine or it's an eight. They like there you go, and you can have the right amount of confidence. Mm-hmm. So that was. My scale. <laughs> I don't know. So what, do you think, what do you think a woman's scale version of that is? Towards a man? Towards a guy? Towards a guy? Uh, it's probably like... I don't know. Ollie, we need another guest. Bring him in. <laughs> where, where are the women? <laughs> uh, let me just call my sister, get her on the phone real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about, and I think I touched upon it a little bit earlier, um, well, before this podcast started, was the whole height and weight thing and how <clears throat> in the dating game, especially like I've seen it a lot on uh, Tinder and Bumble, is that like women will say, oh, if you're under six feet, like don't even talk to me. It's like, don't even, don't even swipe right. It's like, but if the roles were reversed and I used, uh, if I used weight, if I said, if you're over a buck 80, it's like, just, just keep, keep on walking. I would be looked at as some type of pig or misogynist, whatever they want to, whatever new words these liberals are coming up with. Um, but I can't, I can't gain inches. You can lose pounds like so why is it that something that is genetically determined you feel the right to discriminate against like the things like if oh if you like if you're black keep swiping it's like i can't change my genetics it's like so in let's be honest not every woman deserves to do this over six feet if you're five if you're five two a nigga that's 5'11 is still taller than you and can protect you. So it doesn't really make sense. Like there was this um, there was this person I followed on um, on uh, Instagram. I just stopped unfollowing her because I got tired of her just complaining that she couldn't find a dude, even though she's I would say she was a tw- 23, a 23, gorgeous, complaining that she can't find a dude. And one of the criteria is like, you need to be at least uh, six feet or above because I'm five, uh, what is it? I'm five nine 
and where I wear heels, like I'm six feet. Ish, no one told you to wear stilts. <laughs> <laughs> like there are ways to get around that. If I'm five, if I'm five ten and you're five nine, that's fine. But it's just, I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on it? I mean, I feel like everyone's entitled to have their sort of standard of attraction like what you find attractive in a certain person versus what you find unattractive Mm -hmm. Uh, if you find someone who's taller than you by a certain amount of inches more attractive than someone who's like only an inch taller than you then by all means like you're allowed to have that opinion you know i'm not gonna say over here that like oh any woman that's looking for a guy over six feet is trash and like doesn't know what she's really looking for you know because maybe maybe she does know what she's looking for she wants someone who's taller than her you know but at the same time you know it's okay for guys to have a certain criteria of like oh i don't want someone who's overweight in my life yeah and i feel like if you're judging one person for having a height criteria you can't judge another person for having a weight criteria Yeah, I would agree on that. I think, um, I think, uh, if I had to argue, like, which one is like more, for lack of a better word, it's like more acceptable to me. I would say, like, I get, I get the height thing more than the weight thing because, for one, like your weight can change, and also like weight is subjective, like. It could, you could be like, like I am a person, if I go to the doctor, I'm obese. I'm by BMI metrics, I'm an obese person, but mm-hmm. by my weight and everything, I'm a, you know, I'm a big person, right? If, if a woman looks at me and goes, oh, I've got this weight criteria, you, you can't be over this many pounds. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to pass. And if she doesn't want me, <laughs> she doesn't want me, I get it, whatever. But like, um, but I could also, you know, work towards getting my weight down. Obviously, there's limits to that, but you can change your weight. And then height is kind of in, is more uh, of an intrinsic value, I think, right? Because you can't, aside from, you know, some crazy scientific procedure, you can't really change your height aside from wearing thicker insoles or heels. Um, so I think I would say that height would be more of an acceptable, you know, reason for not wanting someone than weight for me, if I had to choose. Um, But also kind of on the heels thing, I think part of the reason why we view the heels thing is like, oh, like she just wants to be taller. Whereas I think the, the point of heels is more of, they want their like, posture and like stance to look more attractive you know what i mean like heels basically show off your legs they force they force your calves to do you know be look a little bit more toned they for you know if you're five you ten you already have long situate legs. The booty. <laughs> but but the the it's not getting taller that's what, like that's the that's the point like it's not about getting taller and having your legs be longer it's about like making your appearance look more sexually attractive or not not even sexually attractive but just more attractive to yourself and possibly others 
sort of more of like the the socially attractive aspect of it it's like a guy sees the girls in heels versus maybe someone that's just wearing flats like culturally you see a girl in heels and you're like oh like she's she's rocking it you know versus someone who maybe just like is wearing flats it's like it's not going to accentuate the same features that someone that is wearing heels would yeah and i just and i can get behind that wearing heels is like and i said that as a joke you could like, you could say it's it's sexy you know I mean, yeah, wearing and heels, I, I it's that like a, it's sexually attractive and i said that as a joke like wearing heels like yeah like i understand why what i was getting at is that so two things. One is that it is acceptable societally for women to be discriminatory towards men. I mean, but, like, is it? Yeah, I mean, because like I, like I laid out, if I had a weight requirement, if I said I didn't want a woman that is more than 180 pounds, all the body, uh, body positivity people and everything would be coming after me. But how, like, do short men have, like, a community where they can come after women It's just like, oh, like, you don't, you don't, um, you don't like me because you're being heightist or something like, like, that, that doesn't exist for men. We just kind of look at it, accept it. It's like, shit, I can't change that. Brush it off and just find other things to make us attractive to the opposite sex. But it's it's an unequal type of discriminatory like behavior. And that's all that I was I was bringing to uh, bringing attention to is like, because if I have a preference for something that can change, that means that your sex appeal to me is malleable. But if you're preference towards me is something that is innate and determined by my genetics, there is no wiggle room at all. So I could be the best guy for you, but just because my dad might be short, now now you're just going to be lonely until you're 45. I feel like if someone's writing someone off just because of their height, they might just be a shallow person like within themselves. Yeah, you'll be you'll be surprised about how many women actually just look over a short dude. I mean that 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 could be true, but at the same time, is like, if do you want to be dating someone that would look over someone just because of their height? I'm, same thing could be said about a woman. Do do they want to look over someone just because they think of like like the guy just thinks of like their weight? versus other things that they could be bringing to the table. I mean, but there's also, but even with the weight, there is another layer to it. It's like, because, and uh, people are not going to be happy with this one, but especially with the black community, it's like, we do have a problem with weight. Mm -hmm. It's like, we've, and I understand with the body positivity and everything like that is that, um, you should like people should feel should not be shamed for the body that they have. However, is that to a certain extent, what, like to what extent are we starting to normalize um, being unhealthy? Because if you're obese, like 
you're at a higher risk for all different types of diseases that will kill you. So you're telling me that I can't say anything about your weight to not hurt your feelings. I just need to accept you passively dying in front of me. So I'd rather not hurt your feelings, just accept you to die at some point prematurely. That's a good point. I think... um, Because being short won't kill you unless... Nah, I don't... like. I don't think being short will kill you. Unless you, like, can't grab something. (laughs) 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 Trying to to break the glass, you can't reach for it. Uh, Trying to grab the fire alarm, you're just like, even when you have a step, like a step left. Where's my step stool? (laughs) Darn it. The running start to pull it, you just knock yourself out in a fire. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're in, like, a Kevin Hart movie, like, being short won't kill you. Um... But I guess that's under the assumption that being obese would kill you. Like if you're someone who is you ever watch food? Well, that that's a whole different thing. I'm saying if you're someone who's overweight, but you do all the things, like you're active all the all the time and you're still overweight, like you know, years upon end and your body just doesn't, you know, metabolize fast enough to like remove all the fat, like that's a different story. Obviously, you could go through different things to 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 change that, like surgeries and whatnot but then that comes into a whole nother conversation of like yeah is it healthy for you to do the surgery or should you just you know continue to just be active and just know that being active is going to keep you healthy you know even though your appearance doesn't reflect what you think it should or what you want it to and that's a whole nother argument upon itself but and i completely understand that there are there are situations where there are medical conditions in which people gain weight. I do, I 100% understand that. But I'm not talking about those people because anytime when you have a conversation like this, people will bring up, it's like, well, there are people that have this and that causes them to gain weight. It's like, I understand that. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that if your only sickness is cake, then, then those are, you're the people that I'm talking about. And don't get me wrong, I understand how hard it is to lose weight. Shit, I'm trying to do it right now. I'm 5'10 and 250. I'm fat as a motherfucker. So (laughs) I'm going to start chopping my toes off in a little bit. So I understand how how hard it is to lose weight, but I'm on the road to to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's part of it is, yeah, to look better for women, but also part of it is also for my own health. Yeah. As if you sneeze too hard and you feel a pain go down your left leg, your left arm, then you need to start making some changes. I guess in terms of like the whole body positivity thing, it's like you don't want to make anyone feel ashamed for the body that they do have. You know, I feel like that's one of like the, the aspects that they're going for versus oh, if you want to lose weight, yeah, you want to lose weight that's healthy for you, then, like, you keep doing what you're doing. But if you are someone who is obese, you don't want to all of a sudden be like, hey, you're obese. Like, you're fat as shit. Mm -hmm. This is unacceptable. You need to start going to the, the gym. You need to start, like, running. You need to start doing every single thing that you can 
in order to conform to this idealistic view of what society has in terms of body weight. Well, yeah. There's a thing about being healthy versus a thing about like where your body's at. Like you could be overweight and sort of trying to be healthy at the same time, right? Like there's always a subset of people who are in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like there, there are overweight people who are healthy. Like if you, I mean, look at the NFL. You, you, you there's guys who will run like a there are seven. people that are active. That's the I guess, people. I get what people you, think I get what that because you're active, that you're necessarily healthy. You can be overweight, like people in the NFL, and they're uh, they're active. But then, if you really take a like a deep dive into the shit that's going on in their body, I I will bet. What's the my dollar to your dime? Is that the name? Yeah, that's the phrase. Like, I will bet that there are definitely like risk indicators for those people that are overweight that we look at as oh top tier athletes so in uh kevin you said something that was just like oh like you just can't tell someone that they're obese not that you can't tell someone but like well not a random person shouldn't be walking up to people in the street and be like hey no but i'm saying it's like people around should be able to be like hey you are like you are at a weight that is not healthy for you and the reason why like the reason why i ask is that like if someone had anything else anything else any type of thing that would put them at risk of having an um adverse health outcome it is acceptable for us to say something to them about it if someone's drinking too much, you will say to them, it's like, listen, if you keep going down this path, you're going to end up killing yourself. If someone um, has diabetes and they're not taking care of it, you're um, societally wise, you're allowed to say something to them. But if someone is overweight for some reason that you're not allowed to say anything to them, you have to promote them, lift them up and just be like, and with the body positivity thing, I agree with it to an extent, but I feel like it has, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that it's now that it's so much body uh, positivity that it's like, nobody can tell me anything. I mean, you so, go to a doctor and they're going to tell you the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like you go to a doctor, you get a blood test. They're going to tell you, Hey, your LDL levels are this, your HDL levels are this, like mm-hmm. you're at risk of dying prematurely. Yeah, and I feel like in the medical field, it's like that, that is where it is acceptable to tell someone that like, Hey, you're overweight right now. And you need to try to do something about this. But with this healthcare system, most of the times people don't access it until something's wrong. Very true. So my thing is more so prevention. It's just like, I don't want you to be living with something like this for so long that like you end up having a stroke or a heart attack and then the doctor not like that's the first time you're seeing a doctor and they're telling you oh you're overweight while the people around you that claim to love you just watch everything happen so let me let me ask you where's the where's the line in in shaming someone like where does that come in like hey i'm gonna shame you right now because you're fat 
you just lose weight versus telling someone out of you know love for them that like hey like i've noticed recently that you know you've gained maybe like 20 30 pounds i am you know like like i feel like personally it's like oh like where do you tell me hey i'm concerned for you there you go you drew the line right there it's the same thing like if someone's an alcoholic it's like you, like there's a line that we know is like where your family members will say to you is that oh like i'm like i've noticed that you haven't been going out i walk into your house i see 40s laying around everywhere it's like what's going on like i think you really might be drinking too much versus you saying to the person you fucking drunk like what are you doing that's that's where the line is is that people understand when you're coming from a caring place and when you're coming from a very uh uh uh, malice place. Okay. So, so then I think like body positivity is trying to prevent that shaming in the first place versus but the it swung so far the other way that it's to the point where it's even if someone tells you I'm concerned, it's you can't tell me anything. I love my body. Like what, who are you to tell me that I need to, that you're concerned about this? Like I'm someone that wants to still travel this earth with you. Because I think that's the thing is that with any, with a, I've seen it happen with a lot of movements is that when there's a movement, it's to correct something that has been wronged. But people within that movement need to also have the foresight to understand it's like, there is a stopping point. But when they gain so much momentum is that the pendulum swings so far the other way that it ends up being detrimental to the people that the movement was originally um, started to help. Okay. Yeah, I see that. I could see where it becomes, you know, we're accepting so much in terms of body positivity where it's like, oh, I'm accepting that you're so-and-so, so obese that it's gotten to the point where, you know, we might not see you in 10 years. Yeah. Or the next time I see you, you might have a peg leg because they had to chop off your foot. It's like, I'm... I've... I guess there's a fine line, you know? Yeah. I think there... <laughs> and, and it's hard to decide. I think there's a pretty fat line, no pun intended, but, like, it's a, like, it's a pretty big line because people know when you're, when you're being hurtful and when you're trying to be helpful. And it's just... With this movement is that they've taken any type of criticism, any type of someone mentioning your weight as something negative that the helpful and hurtful people are now lumped into the same and now they're just being dismissed. So when you say, oh, my limits, you know, hey, if you're over a buck 80, I'm not going to consider dating you attractive. Is that the same line or is it not? Sexual preference. I'm saying is that they're like, when, if you're looking, because here's, here's the thing, is that if you're looking for a sexual experience, then like eh, eh, it's kind of fucked up but if you're looking for a relationship it's like then you have to also understand that like this is the person that i'm going to be spending however long with it's like and part of that is like i do have to take into account their weight 
if I'm a person who likes to go on hikes or stuff like that, it's like someone who might be a buck 80 or over, hikes might not be in their uh, repertoire. So it's, it's, things, it's things like that. It's, it's like the same thing as it's like, and I'm not saying that fatness is a disability, but I'm saying it's like, if you were to um, date a woman that was blind, if you're looking for a relationship, then you have to take into account and it's like, how, like, what are the things that I'm going to have to adjust to with dating someone who is blind? Because there's a lot of things that go into relationships when you're looking for a partner that it's like, you have to take into account. And it's like, okay, these are the things that I might have to adjust to or just tolerate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And that, everyone, has been the first part of A Black True Union. Part two will be coming out next week. Stay tuned.